Now, it is the third Sunday of Advent, and um, we've been having fun with this um, Christmas records, haven't we? Our favorite Christmas records. Now, I can tell you in the modern services, their favorites are not my favorites. (laughs) And the first Sunday, we, um, in here, uh, we heard my favorite Christmas song, A Baby Just Like You, John Denver, yee-haw, and so... That was great. And then the next Sunday, we had our youth come and sing Taylor Swift's song, um, Christmas Must Be Something More, right? Well, today we're going to take a page out of a much more traditional uh, Christmas record, and uh, we're going to hear the Christmas record, um, Silver Bells. But we're going to hear this record via Mitch Miller. Now, how many of you remember Mitch Miller? Jimmy, look around. Look at the hands. Mitch Miller, let's, hear, let's see those hands. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, Jimmy, nearly everyone in the room has, knows about Mitch Miller, okay? But Jimmy did not raise his hand. Therefore, I feel like that today I need to school Jimmy on Mitch Miller. Jimmy, would you come forward? I'm going to let Jimmy sit right here by the baby Jesus. And you know, if, if you remember Mitch Miller's uh, holiday Christmas sing-along with Mitch, and, um, and he had this Santa Claus hat on, do you see him? And he was kind of looking over his shoulder with that classic grin, and he had that neatly trimmed mustache and goatee. Oh, he looked fantastic. Now, I've, short, I've stopped short of getting one of those Um, goatees and mustaches for Jimmy, but not short of the Santa Claus hat. So, Jimmy, all right. This is only appropriate. Now, Jimmy, did you know that Mitch Miller, before he became famous, uh, was a classical oboist? Did you know that? You didn't know that. I knew it from the 815 service. You knew it from the 815 service, but (laughs) prior to that service, he didn't have a clue. Well, anyway, Mitch Miller was famous in the 50s and in the 60s for his sing-along with Mitch albums, okay? He actually had already hit the charts related to his record producing. He produced record labels uh, with, Mer- with Mercury Records and then, of course, with Columbia. You knew that, though. No, you didn't. He didn't know that. Well, anyway, he, uh, he really helped some great artists rise to fame. Tony Bennett um, and... Um, and uh, who? Rosemary Clooney, and uh, what? Doris Day, and uh, that's all Donna knows. Jimmy, do you remember anymore? I don't remember anymore. Well, there's a lot more who owe their start in stardom to none other than Mitch Miller. And Mitch had this way, as you all know, but Jimmy doesn't, of leading a 25-group chorus of men singing pretty much in unison these songs, and then he hit, hit the television, you know, kind of black and white in the beginning, but, but he, would, he would sing these songs with this chorus, and you'd sing along with Mitch, and you, you've heard that phrase, Jimmy, I know you've heard it, follow the, the, bouncing ball. the bouncing ball, even Jimmy knew that, he didn't know it came from Mitch Miller, however, and it did, and so we sang along with Mitch, and you know, Mitch, um, in 1955, before all of the, uh, the albums of Sing Along with Mitch, 
He hit the charts with a single, a record, a single record in 1955, hit the charts with a number one uh, album. And Jimmy, do you know what that album was? I, I don't remember 1955. 1955, Jimmy doesn't remember. But Mitch Miller's hot single in 55 was, does anybody know? The Yellow Rose of Texas. Now listen, if you can be born in Rochester, New York, where you live and die in New York City, and your number one single is the Yellow Rose of Texas, you've got to be great, right? So what we're going to do this morning, Jimmy, is you're a conductor type person, and you're very, very, very good, just like Mitch Miller, and we are going to sing along with Mitch and Jimmy and Stan. Okay, hit it back there. Jimmy did pretty well. Now, my mother loved Mitch Miller, and we had several albums. You know, Mitch Miller sold 20 million albums of Sing Along with Mitch, and uh, we had a million of them, I think, in our house. But um, great memories. 
You know, I love that song, um, Silver Bells, and that, that opening line, it's Christmas time in the city. I don't know why kids in the country like Silver Bells so much, but I did. It's Christmas time in the city. With the silver bells and the children laughing and people smiling and shopping. But when I say to you, what are you reminded of when you hear silver bells in the city? What would you say? The Salvation Army kettle. You know, we come out of wherever we're shopping and there they are ringing the little silver bell with the kettle. We know what that means. It means it's Christmas time in the city. And it reminds us that it's not all just about the shopping and about all of the glitz and the glamour of what is Christmas that we all love wherever you are, city or country. But we're reminded, thanks to the Salvation Army, that it's also about remembering the needy, right? We're reminded that, that, that it's about people who, um, who are counting on the Salvation Army for that warm meal at the soup kitchen. Or for that shelter for those who don't have a house anymore. Or for those who have been incarcerated and get out and there's home at the Salvation Army. You see, when, 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 we, when we, we sing silver bells, we need to realize that, yes, it's all about silver bells and all that silver bells that song is about, but it's Christmas time in the city. We, as Christians, need to be reminded that Christmas time in the city is a time for us to give of who we are and what we have to those who are less fortunate. You know, I've wondered sometimes, what is um, God's favorite Christmas carol? Have you ever wondered that? You know, wonder what God's favorite record would be. You know, I have to believe there's only one favorite Christmas carol that God would have, and it would be his own song, the song of salvation that Mary sang with her cousin Elizabeth that we have recorded in the book of Luke, the first chapter. We sometimes call God's salvation song Mary's song. We sometimes call it the Magnificat. But there's no doubt about it. It was the first Christmas song ever, and it's God's favorite. Would you turn with me now to the first chapter of Luke's gospel? And we're going to begin reading with the 39th verse. And will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to, to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. That was John the Baptist. Remember we talked about that last week. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary sang, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months until she had baby John and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, I like to think of the Magnificat as God's salvation song, sung by Mary. And there are verses of this song that I, I think we need to pay close attention to. And if I were to pick a first verse, I'm going to say it's that part where Mary sings, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You know, I think today for most Christians, Lover's Lane, we're included. We don't really have a problem denying sin. We pretty much know that we're sinners that we fall short of the glory of God we know our frailties but sometimes I wonder if we are not all somewhat a little guilty of thinking that but we're the ones in church this morning and there are those out there who well need to be so at least we're in church this morning but the Bible says, and this is the reason for Christ's coming, the Bible says the wages of sin, sinful life, sinful living, the wages are death. And none is good, no, not one. So Christmas is about God coming in the person the human form of Jesus 
just like we are. Living a perfect life, and yet Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves. He was truly Savior. And Jesus is the one who bridges that gap, who atones us of our shortcomings, and teaches us that God is a God of grace and love and forgiveness and salvation. You know, there's a story uh, about Bill Hybels, who is the pastor of the great Willow Creek Church, the mega, mega church, I guess you'd call it, uh, that uh, rose several years ago, and Hybels is the pastor. They had a particular outreach to the unchurched. That's kind of how they made their mark. And he tells a story about how he was on a plane once with a uh, with a gentleman, beside a gentleman, and, and they were chatting, and of course Bill had to you know, do the preacher thing, and finally it came up, you know, well, what do you do? He said, well, I'm a pastor of a church in Chicago. And the man said, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't affiliate with any church. I don't believe I need to affiliate with any church. He said, uh, you know, I make mistakes just like everybody else, but said, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I give to charity, and, and I would not even dare think of hurting another individual. And so I just don't really feel like I need to do the church thing. I believe that God accepts me just where I am, and church isn't for me. And Bill reported that he took out a, a legal pad, and he said, well, let, let, me, uh, let me just ask you a question. He drew a line, and on that line from 1 to 10, and he said, let's... Let's assume that 10 is just near perfect. A near perfect person would be a, a, a 10. And, um, and so as Christians now speaking, who would you put on that, that, uh, that scale at, at a 10? And the man said, well, you know, I guess generally speaking, I, I kind of think I'd put Mother Teresa and Billy Graham up there at a 10. I mean, when I think of people I admire, people who are just near perfect, to me, it'd be Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. And, and Bill Hybel said, well, you know, that, that's good. I, I, think, I, th I think I agree with you there. But, but he said, let me tell you what they said about them. Both of them agree. And both of them would say, I am a sinner and I have no chance of salvation unless it is a gift to me from Christ. I can't be good enough, both would say. To earn salvation. So Bill Hybel said, so let's put them where they want to be. And it's not at 10. Let's put them down here at 2. And, and then he said, okay, if, if, if they, Billy Graham and Mother Teresa would see themselves as kind of a 2, not as a 10. Then where, where do you think you need to go on this, this, this chart? And the man kind of smiled and he said, well, you know, when you put it that way, uh, I guess um, I'm pretty low down on the chart. Bill Hybel smiled and he drew another line under that line. And then he wrote under that line, 1 John 2, 2. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. 
And then he said, you know that line right there under that, that scale is a place for you to put your name. If you believe this scripture. He said the man looked at him. Asked for his pen. Signed his name. You know, I think that's exactly what Mary was singing about. That he has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He's put us all on that level plane. You know, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that salvation song reminds us as to why Jesus came in the form of a human as Lord his life is one that we can model as Savior, one who has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. And, and then the second song of salvation, the verse of the second song of salvation, is, is of a, so, a social nature. In verse 52 we read, He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of low degree. You see, God seems to always be overturning the social order, doesn't he? I mean, you can go from beginning to end. And over and over and over again, it's, it's not the person you expected God to choose. But God chooses one whom we least would expect. And whether we're talking about that band of Hebrew slaves and God defeating the Egyptian Pharaoh and all of the armies to uplift Hebrew slaves to be his people. He took an humble shepherd boy and made him Israel's greatest king, David. And when he sought a woman to be the mother of of the Messiah. He chose a 13-year-old girl of a lower-class family living in the hills of Judea, a hillbilly from Nazareth to be the mother of God. So if we don't get it, we, we need to get it. Rank and caste and class are always under attack by God and that attack was spearheaded by Jesus. Paul got it when in Galatians he said, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. There is no longer rich or poor. There is no longer anything that would separate us for in Christ. We are one. God opposes every ruling system, the song says, that devalues people or deprives life, liberty, justice, and kindness. That God stands for. How could we value God's people differently? 
because of skin pigmentation or gender or social status? How could we? When we hear this song, how could we treat someone differently and of lesser value because of, of their race or gender or the size of their bank account? How could we? The song of salvation declares that even the lowest of the low is created by God in God's image, even favored. We dare not isolate the poor because that is who Jesus is with. The final verse is the announcement by Mary and it's of an economic nature. She sang, He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. Now friends, when we see that word rich, I don't want us uh, excusing ourselves and think, well, you know, I'm not rich, but I know who is rich. That must be a, a passage of Scripture that's written for them. The rich, that's you and me. Because on a world standard, we're rich. But furthermore, the rich would be anyone who has possessions to be shared, that God calls us to share, that we hoard and never generously share with the needy. So with that definition, a Christian society, a Christian community, a church at its best is one in which no one dares to have too much while others have too little. Now, I want to ask you to think with me about something. Let's suppose that you have three children. And one of your children, a son, the oldest, is a CEO of a company in Houston and doing quite well. Makes a salary of about $400,000 a year. and Everything's going pretty well for your family there in Houston. And you have a, a daughter who's a surgeon in Oklahoma City. And she and her family seem to be doing really, really great too. And you have a son who struggles with depression. Has even struggled with drugs. In fact, he spent a little bit of time in the correction system lives in San Antonio and has a very difficult time holding a job now, now as a parent of these three children where's your focus going to be this Christmas where do you think God wants you to focus with your children God's focus this Christmas and every Christmas and every day is on his children with the biggest needs and the least resources. 
And we are so blessed and so fortunate that God calls us into that mission with Him. And sometimes we find ourselves right there as the needy. But God calls the church to listen to the song that calls us all to respond to those who are in need even if those in need are among us. That's what everybody's Christmas is about. It's about right before Christmas having this big Christmas party where we're reminded as we bring homeless people into this church that it's not about a house, it's not about your house. It's about understanding that the church is home for all of us, that we are one family. There is no distinction to be made. And I love everybody's Christmas for that very reason. But if, if, if everybody's Christmas was all that we did throughout the year for those who are less fortunate, then we would certainly be missing the mark, wouldn't we? I spoke to one of you this morning whom I met at the Powledge Prison Unit. And, and, and on everybody's Christmas, we'll have 75 or 100 former offenders who will gather with us. And, and they're here to say thank you. They give an award away to a Lover's Lane member every year because every week we go into the prisons, sometimes twice a week. And so many of you in your classes, in your groups, you know the needy whom you serve, whom you're called to reach out to, and you do. You know, if we didn't identify with the poor, Jesus will not identify with us. And if we try to be church without Jesus, then we're really nothing more than a, a religious feel-good country club, Right? Every affluent church needs to have poor in our midst and call those sisters and brothers. I love this church because I believe we are listening to hear God's salvation song sung by Mary. And I pray that we will continue to listen and to celebrate Christmas as Mary celebrated Christmas, singing God's salvation song of hope. Let's pray. God, we're so blessed to be your children. Help, help us to sing your song of salvation and, and, and to receive your gift of salvation. that we know in Jesus who has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, help us to sing your salvation song 
with others in this city who may be different than we are. Help us to see that your, your song creates a chorus and brings us all together as brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to reach out in this city to those who gather across the street dealing with addictions and help us, Lord, to reach out to even more who struggle in our country. Lord, help us to continue to go to those who are in prison and share your salvation song. Help us to sing your song of salvation. To help those in need without seeing ourselves as better than or more blessed. But sisters and brothers. All because of your song of salvation. Amen.